0: Hello again, church family. This is part four of Esther chapter two. Uh, I hope this has been very uh, helpful for you as well as it is for me. It's been a joy to just go reading through this and just kind of studying through it and just find all of these great biblical truths as I'm uh, just just, uh, studying all of Esther. And I hope that this helps you ground yourself in terms of what you're feeling and even the current circumstances, that uh, we don't need to worry so much because we have a God that is in control over all things, um, that we can trust him in every aspect, in the, in the minor details as well as in the big picture things as well. Um, again, uh, just to kind of build off of what we've been learning this last week, Esther, Chapter 2, remember this is, a, this is the beauty pageant where King Ahasuerus wanted to find a new queen, because Queen Vashti rebelled against him, and uh, they need to figure out a new person to take her place. Uh, so there was this. So uh, they decide to do this pageant, and then Esther finds favor, and she wins. She becomes the new queen, and she puts up Mordecai as uh, this guy, one of the guys that's in the king's gate to watch over people. And at the same time, uh, because of that providential act. Mordecai was able to save the king because there were these two king officials that uh, wanted to plan to kill the king. And uh, because of all of these seemingly random events, uh, God preserved his people. And uh, if you know the story, you know where this is headed. Uh, we talk about how we can, we can find hope in this strange world um, and, you know, grow, uh, and to grow in our trust in the Lord by not trusting in man's ways. Uh, but in a natural uh, that's what, what we learned last time about not trusting in man's ways, that uh, people manipulate all that they can to get what they want. That's like the chief end. It's always selfish and self-motivated for their own selfish gain. And then a few days ago, we talked about how uh, we can't place our trust in man's words. Uh, they're fickle. Uh, they change the times. Uh, they, ch- uh, they just go with whatever the, the motion is and whatever the the flavor of the month is. Uh, so those are the, those two things that we can't trust. We don't, we shouldn't place our trust in man's words, but rather we trust in God's words. And instead of trusting in man's ways, we trust in God's ways. Uh, and today, we're going to talk about this last one, about trust, not trusting in man's wisdom, but rather we trust in God's wisdom. Uh, there was this old uh, Hong Kong film that I used to like to watch, was called Infernal Affairs. It was like a really big deal uh, when it came out in Hong Kong, and uh, I remember uh, it was it was even big here in California because you know we're highly there's a whole bunch of Chinese people here that are from Hong Kong. So it was cool that like this film was uh, made its way here. And I remember watching that film as a kid, and one of the things about that that was so great it was like really suspenseful. It was like a it's like a it's like a cat and mouse kind of thing. If you watch that film, you know it's like it was like a cop pretending to be a a a mobster and then a mobster tribe would be a cop and they're both trying to figure each other out. And both of them thought that they're one step ahead of one another, not realizing how close and at the same time how far they were from each other. I think about that film and I think of this last part of Esther. Uh there everyone here thinks that they're one step ahead of the other person but not realizing that even though they're planning and trying to be manipulative, ultimately they're all being played, and they're all being played by one author, and that is the Lord. He's the only one that's actually in control over all things. Even though every little character here thinks that they're in control, ultimately God is in control. So we arrive back in chapter 2, verse 17, and this is when uh, Queen Esther wins his beauty pageant. She becomes the queen and uh King Ahasuerus, uh he wanted a queen that will I guess actually make him look good. He chose he liked Esther's looks, he likes the way that <laughs> she presented herself, and basically this was his plan again to show like, oh look, this is what happens when you cross me, you, you you lose your position as a queen and I could put a new queen up and display her beauty to the rest of the world. And uh we see later on, again what I referenced earlier and Esther had a plan as well when she became queen she set uh, Mordecai up into this position where he's at the king's gate and like I said uh, I think it was yesterday that uh, the plan was so that he can uh, that she can have someone kind of like in her sphere of influence that she can have someone close by to continue to uh, give an influence but at the same time Mordecai wanted this as well he wanted to put Esther certain that position so that he could be in a higher position so that he could be close to the king. There's all nepotism going around. Um, and this whole book where we see that man's plans get overthrown and, uh, eventually I mean, early on the king's plan was overthrown by Queen Vashti. Remember he wanted to show off the queen and then the queen said no, and that didn't work out. And then he left and then, uh, and he, he, you know, cast her out. And then, uh, Later on, in uh, the end of this chapter, these two kings official wanted to uh, murder uh, they planned to murder the king, but that gets uh, uh, that, that plot gets destroyed and Haman later on, he tried to plan against the Jews and his plan gets destroyed. Each and every single one of these people all thought at one point that their wisdom, their plans, and their ways was all going to work. Everyone in the end got duped because ultimately God is in, con- is in control over all things. Proverbs 16, uh, chapter 16, verse 9, I thought I made this reference uh, before, but how, let me turn there real quick, Proverbs 16, verse 9, the mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Proverbs 19, verse uh, 21 many plans are in the man's heart but the counsel of the lord will stand and then over and over again see that god is in control of everything and for us we need to understand that no matter how much wisdom we have in our life no matter how much we plan uh in our life we must hold to everything in this life with a loose grip there is nothing in this life that will last there's no assurance outside of scripture, that anything that we plan will last. And if you look at, go back to Esther 2, verse 23, Mordecai uh, thought that he would be placed in a higher position. Uh, Again, uh, Haman thinks the same way, that like, oh, if I do this for the king, then I must be placed in a higher position. I'll I'll I'll, I'll rise up the ranks. But uh, Mordecai here, the only thing he gets is really just a commendation. At this point in the story, he doesn't know what's going to happen later on. But t- uh, when he did all this plan, the first two chapters, again, this spans about a year or two because the whole beauty pageant thing took about a year. After all of this happens, the only thing he gets at that time, it's just a little he, gets, like, he His name just get written down as the guy that helped save the king. And I bet he, he uh, Mordecai thought to himself, oh, what a waste. After all of this planning, all this deception, all of this... Um, all this espionage kind of thing. In the end, the only thing he got was his, his name written down, just on a little little footnote in history. But even though it was written down, we see that God ultimately used this instance to save his people. He used it to save his people um, in this small way. Uh, he, saved, uh, to, he, he used it to preserve the Jews uh, later on in the story, but even beyond that, he used it to preserve his people overall. Because if the Jews were to be exterminated, if all the Jews were to be exterminated, then God's then God's plan will be ruined, and God will be made a liar. So we see that even though uh, uh, Mordecai did this, um, God used it later on to spare His people. And in the grand scheme of things, He used it to also spare His line and His promise. And we can see it even played out some more, because in at the end of verse uh, chapter two, verse twenty-three. They used this thing, the gallows, right? So they were uh, they, these two people that were killed. They were hung on this gallows, and I mentioned uh, yesterday, or I don't remember, if it was yesterday or the day before. That these gallows were these like fifty long, uh, huge spikes that they would just throw people off of. They'll land on these spikes, and so that when people look up to these these gallows, these spikes, they'll just see a dead corpse on it. And how this is significant is because. This was in the 6th century. <clears throat> All of this happened in the 6th century. This gall- th- these gallows will eventually be adopted uh, to the Phoenicians in the 4th century. And then the Phoenicians will introduce these to the Romans. The Romans will take this and perfect it, and they'll change it into what we know as crucifixion. The Romans adopted this uh, in the 3rd century BC, and then they perfected it. They made it into not just throwing the person off and landing on the spikes, but they're like, they say, okay, let's, how can we keep them dangling up there and slowly die so that the people that goes by them will know not to commit these type of crimes? Now, we start seeing God's plan being fulfilled, right? You can see how God, even in using the gallows, this horrible man's invention, he used it for his purpose. <clears throat> God not only preserved his people in this story, he laid down the foundation for the cross to save his people from eternal death. We can find assurance that God is working things both in the major and the minor details of history. See, if God did not allow these things to happen, if God did not even allow the Persians to reign to, and, Lord, and even for them to invent something like the gallows, then the Romans, centuries later, would not have come up with the idea of the cross. And then that even the cross itself was a prophecy from all the way back in Isaiah. See, everything ties together, and God used it ultimately to bring together an instrument of the cross, and that's how he saves his people. With uh, with this virus, we have to understand that God is working in both the, the small little details and in the big thing, pictures as well. We may not know uh, what's going on, just like the characters in this story, but I guarantee you 10,000 years, 100,000 years down the line, when we're in glory, we'll look back and we could say, wow, look how amazing our God is. He can use this event in this time of history, ultimately to bring uh, people to either to himself, people that ordinarily would not uh, have trusted or, or even are interested in spiritual things, that he drew more people into the kingdom with this virus uh, had the virus not been around, more people may not have uh, accepted Christ. Or he's using this to harden certain individuals for for judgment. In either case, God has used all things for our good and for his glory. That's what Romans 8.28 tells us. Um, and it, actually a few days ago, uh, the Gospel Coalition placed this article online that by C.S. Lewis. It's not an article, but it's like a little quote by him. I found it to be incredibly helpful. So I'm just going to read this part for you. Um, so the beginning is here. It's now clear that COVID-19 is a deadly, serious global pandemic, and all necessary precautions should be taken. Still, C.S. Lewis' words written 72 years ago, ring with the same relevance for us, just replace atomic bomb with coronavirus. So C.S. Lewis around the time. During his time in the 40s, it was like people were afraid that the nuclear bomb was going to just land on the people and all of London is going to collapse and they're all like panicking. So this is C.S. Lewis's response. So again, when I say atomic bomb here, just replace in your mind coronavirus. So here's a quote. In one way, we think a great deal too much of the atomic bomb. How are we to live in an atomic age? I am tempted to reply Why, as you would have lived in the 16th century when the plague visited London almost every year, or as you would have lived in the Viking Age when raiders from Scandinavia might land and cut your throat any night, or indeed as you are already living in an age of cancer, an age of syphilis, an age of paralysis, an age of air raids, an age of railway accidents, an age of motor accidents. In other words, do not let us begin... By exaggerating the novelty of our situation. Believe me, dear sir or madam, you and all whom you love were already sentenced to death before the atomic bomb was invented, and quite a high percentage of us were going to die in unpleasant ways. We had, indeed, one very great advantage over our ancestors and aesthetics, but we still have that still. It is perfectly ridiculous, To go about whimpering and drawing long faces because the scientists have added one more chance of painful and premature death to a world which already bristled with such chances and in which death itself was not a chance at all, but a certainty. This is the first point to be made, and the first action to be taken is to pull ourselves together. If we are all going to be destroyed by an atomic bomb, let the bomb, when it comes, find us doing sensible and human things. Praying, working, teaching, reading, listening to music, bathing the children, playing tennis, chatting to our friends over a pint and a game of darts—not huddled together like frightened sheep and thinking about bombs. They may break our bodies; the micro can do that. The coronavirus can do this, but they need not dominate our minds. This is a quote by C.S. Lewis about the atomic bomb, and I, you can see how this should be our attitude. But yes, we as Christians are living in a weird age. It's not like we are very distinct. Yes, there's nothing like this that's ever been seen before. But we have to understand plagues and pestilence have always existed. There's there's nothing new under the sun. And as Christians, we have nothing to fear. You have to think of ways like how Paul thinks about it. If we were to die, to for us to die, is the gain. To live is Christ and die is gain. We get the privilege either to live, to minister to people, or we die and get to go to glory. There's nothing in this world that should make us love it so much that we feel like we're missing out because the best days for us is yet to come. Not when the days are being fixed, although we hope for that, but our greatest hope is in, 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 in eternity. That's why we should not trust in the wisdom of man. See, the wisdom of man is always going to be centered around this life. But the wisdom of God is always going to have eternal significance. May we as a people ground ourselves in God's sovereign and good hand. God is doing all that he is doing for our good and for his glory. And we will know how this all plays out one day. That's why I taught in 2 Corinthians how we look through a glass dimly. Right now, we're like that. We can't see things clearly. But when the time comes, when we are in glory... And we can see how all of um, all how every little molecule atom was used for the glory of God we will praise God for all of eternity so that's our um, that's our hope not in man's wisdom not in man's ways not in man's words again our focus should always be on God's words God's ways and God's wisdom so that we can find true and lasting joy even in the darkest times I hope that this is um encouraging for you because as I was reading this I was thinking about uh, this situation and even in light of Esther I know that we have a God that's in control even though our lives seem like it's completely out of control our God is in control and for that we can rejoice We close our time uh, or close the chapter with a word of prayer Heavenly Father we're thankful for your sovereign hand um, we always know it in, con- in, in theory but we never really Think about how much in control you are of all circumstances, of all individual, of all disease. Lord, may we continue to trust in you during this time, that we won't be overwhelmed by uh, what we see here, the news, what we see when we go out on the streets, or what we don't see, Lord. But we, we fix our gaze in your goodness. That we continue to live um, for your glory. May we do all things for your glory, Lord. May we rejoice um, if this is the. Last generation before you return, then praise Lord, if this is just this, if we're just uh, one generation and then there's hundreds more after, may we just be found faithful in your eyes, no matter where we are in history. Thank you for giving us your word to always assure us of who you are and how much in control you really are of overall things. Thank you for this time we have, really since' Son's name. Amen.